When I was in college, it was still possible for me to work my way through college with part-time jobs, uh, paying as I went. I lived at home, commuted to uh, college, to school, so it was barely, barely possible. This was shortly after the Earth's crust cooled. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was still possible at that time. But um, as a result, my car was inexpensive. <laughs> and as a result of that, it was not that dependable. So one, one day as I was going back from, from college to home, one, uh, one late evening, uh, sure enough, it broke, broke down about a mile from campus. And um, Remember, this was in the days before cell phones. I think we communicated by smoke signal or something then. I, I, I can't remember. But anyway, I did. it was raining very hard, so no smoke signals, no, no option there, and no cell phones. So I was, um, I was not sure what to do, and, and uh, someone stopped. Despite the fact it was raining hard, he stopped. Despite the fact that he was dressed all in white and it was raining, he stopped. Despite the fact that he was black and I was white in late 70s in central Arkansas in the middle of the night, he stopped and helped me. And when we couldn't find anything, especially nothing obvious wrong with the car, he, he drove me home. At about this same period in my life, I can't remember the exact sequence, I um, once picked up a hitchhiker. Hitchhiking was still a thing in that time. I picked him up, and um, I told him that he looked like Steve Perry, um, the front man for, at that time for the band Journey. And uh, he said that he heard that a lot, and uh, we chat chatted. And at one point he said, yeah, I thought you might pick me up. Um, people with nice cars never stop. <laughs> I wasn't insulted. <laughs> people with nice cars never stop. What is a sojourner or a stranger? Neither term in English can give us the dynamic equivalence of the term in Hebrew because uh, we don't have anything like the social context of uh, Israel or Judah. We don't use the word sojourner in, in daily conversation. And a stranger usually is some, just someone we don't know personally. But in the Old Testament, a sojourner or a stranger is a permanent resident in another country. So, okay, you might think, well, all right, resident alien. But that doesn't, that doesn't work either because it's, it, it's, it's closer, but it, it's not really a matter of formal citizenship. A sojourner or a stranger is a person who is not in their home country, and so they usually don't have home or family or land or properties or connections or the means of production like mules or donkeys or oxen, other livestock. So this makes them vulnerable, legally vulnerable, financially, socially, politically, physically vulnerable. But to, the, get to the, really get to the context that we're looking at this morning, I need to back up and do some cosmology. In the, in the Bible and in many ancient cosmologies, we see two opposite motifs of cosmology, space and time. 
Please don't think in terms of physics or modern, modern science. The spatial motif is dry land, and especially the mountain, on which stands the pillar as the central image, the, the pillar holding up this square-framed house, its linear stability, stasis, security, home, permanence, heritage, legacy. The motif of time is manifested in the sea and flooding, tides and waves, change and danger, ephemerality, dynamism, exile, wandering in strange lands. And these two motifs are constantly in battle. And we see both of these in, from Genesis 1, from the very first chapter of Genesis. Now, God Almighty controls both of these things. These are, in some respects, the right hand and the left hand of God. And we see this from the very beginning of creation, from the primordial, flooded, watery seas of the first stages of creation to the third day when land, dry land, habitable, dry land emerges out of that chaos. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, where we read that the sea is no more. Yes, that's what that's about. That's what that's all about. Now, occasionally, God lets the, the chaos of time and flooding invade us. He lets us, he slips the leash and lets the, it overwhelm us. And that's often in the case of human disobedience. Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. The murderer Cain wanders the earth. God destroyed the world by flood in Noah's time. Israel crosses the Red Sea on dry land. The Egyptians are flooded. But then, because of their sin, Israel wanders in the desert for 40 years. Much later, God sends them into exile from the home, their homeland into Babylon because of idolatry. So you can see why it might be tempting to think that this is, is always the result of sin and moral failure. But it's often for mysterious reasons, especially at the time that it's happening. It's not clear exactly what's going on. Now, God establishes the righteous in the land and gives them uh, all those blessings. And you can think especially of King David and his legacy and all the promises that goes with that. But on the other hand, who is, who is really righteous? And, and for how long? So in a fallen world, time always brings change and, and danger. We age, we die, the floods of life threaten us, buildings rot, dynasties fall, even the mountains themselves can crumble and succumb to the sea. Now the sojourner or the stranger is the one who is swept away from home, as I, as I was saying, and, 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 and from their own land by the sea of change and circumstances. That gives us a better context for what, it, what the, who the sojourner is. Objectively, subjectively, who is the sojourner? For me, for you, for us. 
What does the Lord require of us? Well, first of all, it's a serious exegetical mistake to take the commands of Scripture and just translate them directly into political policy. The Bible says this about a sojourner, so this is what immigration law looks like. No, it's just not. We, we, we should never do that. My academic training is primarily in political philosophy and theology and proof texting like that in the area of the stranger or the sojourner or the foreigner is just as sort of wrong-headed as it would be to take the book of Leviticus somehow and just try to apply it to policy of the FDA or the IRS or NASA or something like that. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a good idea. You can't do that. More than that, Israel was a theocracy. Israel was a nation established by direct revelation from God. Israel was Israel. We're not. So there are broad principles uh, to apply from Scripture, and there are things to say about that, but the political order is always a matter of compromise with current realities. Second, the sojourner is not, in, in the biblical language, is not a pagan is not an idol worshiper. The sojourner worshiped the God of Israel, obeyed the laws of God. The Lord our God is one God. The sojourner was part of that community. Third, the sojourner or stranger was never an enemy or an interloper or a spy. So in summary of everything that I've been saying up to this point, we don't have any, even have a word for what the Bible is talking about. We don't have those strangers in that same sense. The cosmology of the Bible is completely different from our mindset. We can't apply this law to American law. It doesn't apply to people who, worship, who don't worship our God, and it doesn't apply to an enemy. So, Dave, you know, I'm done. This is, we, we don't have any more application. Not my problem. We can just... Without exegetical errors, we don't have to worry about it. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to be a moral philosopher or a theologian to twist God's law, but it really helps. Have you, have you noticed that? It really. Actually, everything that I've said so far, I do want you to keep that in mind. Please keep that in mind. It's all, it's all important information. Because we do want to be careful and apply God's word judiciously, so keep it in mind. But I want to, I want to, I want to back up and start again. In our passage in Deuteronomy 10, here's what stands out to me. It says, God loves the sojourner. God loves the sojourner. Do you feel that? And he said, we should love the sojourner because we were sojourners. God loves the sojourner. We should love the sojourner because we were sojourners. Brothers and sisters, would you say that with me? God loves the sojourner. We should love the sojourner. Because we were sojourners. Thank you. So I, read, I asked him a minute ago, who's the sojourner for me, for us? Does that remind you of another question? Who's my neighbor? Well, it should because it was a young lawyer who asked Jesus that question. For the same reason, he was trying to escape the demands of the law and justify himself. You don't have to be a trained lawyer to twist the law, but it helps. 
Who's a sojourner? Who's my, labor, my, my neighbor? These are virtually the same question. And Jesus answered the lawyer, you remember, by telling a story. A man went down to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him for dead. A priest came by and saw him and ignored him. A Levite came by, saw him, and ignored him. And then a Samaritan helped him, went to extraordinarily, extraordinary lengths to help him. And we see the magnificent, the genius of the Lord Jesus Christ in this, in this answer to, to, to this young lawyer. On the one hand, even a young child can understand the story of the Good Samaritan. It appeals to kids. Kids get it. They understand. They, they relate to it. They, they see what they're supposed to do. But at the same time, Jesus told this story, and it, as a, it's a powerful rebuttal to legal sophistry. It's a little neutron bomb that, in the spiritual realm that just lays low all human pretension and all ability to stand up. Amazing. It's just, our, our Lord is amazing. Who's the sojourner? Well, any Samaritan anywhere in Israel is a sojourner. And he was a sojourner on that road. And yet it was this offensive, this, this despised Samaritan that helped the Jew in need. So the answer to the question is not, who do I have to consider as my neighbor? It's rather, you know, how would I want to be treated in the same situation? During the renewal of society brought about by John Wesley, the key phrase used to identify someone to help was, quote, a sufficiency of evident distress, unquote. A sufficiency of evident distress. They obviously and really need help. That's it. How do you identify who's a stranger? They obviously and really need help. Or as God's word says, love your neighbor as yourself. Subjectively, all we have to do is ask ourselves, what would it be like to be in that situation? It's not that hard to imagine, really. God tells Israel, you shall love the, the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And the starting place for all this, as, as our passage said, is that God owns everything. We are guests on God's property. The property, the land that we possess doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. We are strangers to God. That's the starting point. That's the ontological starting point of all this. even if he gives us a home. But after Eden and before the New Jerusalem, the Bible is the story of sojourners in the more common sense. I already mentioned Adam and Eve and Cain. Abraham was called by God to be a sojourner. He calls himself a sojourner. Jacob was a sojourner after he cheated his brother out of his birthright. Moses sojourned in Midian, and he even named his first child with a name that he chose because it sounds like sojourner. 
David fled from, fall, from Saul and lived as a sojourner outside Israel. Israel lived as strangers in exile in Babylon. And so the Bible story is a story of sojourners and sojourning. But more specifically, the gospel is a story of sojourners and sojourning. The second person of the Trinity, again at the ontological level, the second person of the Trinity descended from heaven and sojourned among us. He pitched his tent among us. And then when Herod tries to kill the baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt and sojourned in Egypt. A fact, by the way, that really delights African Christians, that Jesus himself sojourned in, in, on the continent of Africa. Jesus' entire ministry was as a stranger and an itinerant preacher. He was not received as God's chosen one, as the Messiah, in his own home, in his own town, his own village. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And Jesus calls his disciples to leave home and family. So in our gospel passage, Jesus challenges this rich, the rich young man, lived a great life. He said, you're just missing one thing. Just sell all your stuff, give to the poor, follow me. I need to say also that nearly all of us owe our spiritual heritage to sojourners. You're a child of God because someone left home to bring the gospel to you, directly or indirectly. Joseph of Arimathea preached Jesus in the British Isles, we think. And we owe our faith as Anglicans to, to him, indirectly. The Apostle Thomas, who was standing right there with Jesus when he said all what we read... Apostle Thomas took the gospel to India, and I have had two fellows in the Boston Fellows Program who can trace their, whose church was founded by Thomas. They can trace directly back to Thomas. How cool is that? I owe my faith to John Wesley, who rode more than 250,000 miles on horseback in his, over the course of his lifetime, bringing the gospel all over the British Isles through Methodism. And Jesus told his disciples, go make disciples of all nations. Jerusalem, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so that's how the gospel works. We owe ourselves to people who have sojourned for Christ. But to respond to the gospel is also to receive the sojourner. If you owe your faith to a sojourner, you also owe your faith to someone who received a sojourner in England, in India, in Africa, in Wisconsin. And in our passage, Jesus promises the disciples <coughs> there is no one who is left family or houses or lands or any of that, father, mother, sister, brother, who will not receive a hundred times now in this time. Did you catch that? Now in this time. And that's been my experience. The comedian um, Stephen Wright has a, a bit where he says, I have a hobby. 
I have the world's largest seashell collection. I keep it on, scattered on beaches all over the world. Maybe you've seen some of it. Well, that's been my experience. I have the world's largest collection of houses. <clears throat> They're scattered all over the world. Maybe you've seen some of them. It's actually my father's. It belongs to my father. But wherever I've carried the gospel, wherever the tides and currents of carrying the gospel has left me, wherever it's cast me up on the shore, there has been an open spot for me. In an earlier part of my career, I worked in 45 different countries on five continents. I lived in Africa for 13 years, working entirely in a different language under, under an African um, leader. I slept uh, countless times in beds that were normally occupied uh, by a member of the family with whom I was staying. I ate food that my host sometimes could barely afford. The book of, the he of Hebrews says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And many, many African, uh, traditional African cultures have almost that exact same attitude just as part of their traditional culture. This might be a deity. These might be deities, so treat them well. In Matthew 25, Jesus uh, says that, as it turns out, the stranger is Jesus himself, in disguise. The hungry person, Jesus himself. The naked person, the prisoner, turns out to be Jesus himself. And all of us have had experiences that, that, we can, that can help us understand that, that can grasp that, to have a heart for the sojourners. When it comes to us, who, who of us hasn't been at some point on the outside trying to get in? Who hasn't been in a position of vulnerability? Who hasn't been in a position of need? Who is a sojourner? I'm a sojourner. We are sojourners. You are a sojourner. You all are a sojourner. She, he, they are sojourners, strangers, foreigners. Whoever obviously and really needs our help. Some years ago, I had a kind of a crisis of, of faith. Um, I'd been studying political philosophies, so moral philosophy, essentially, and... Um, I was in a situation when someone was mistreating me, and it wasn't just like a one-off time, it was, it was ongoing. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a Christian. Love your neighbor as yourself. Basically the same thing as do to others as you would have them do to you. It's a universal concept. Everybody should understand. And this person did not seem to be able to put themselves in my shoes, in my situation. I just could not understand. It was, like I say, it was a bit of a of a, of a crisis. But it really isn't that hard to understand. We just forget. We just turn away. We just suppress the truth in violation of our God-given imagination. To attend to the least advantaged 
We don't need a Rawlsian thought experiment of pursuing our own self-interest behind a veil of ignorance. We just need to remember. We just need a little imagination. We just need to think what it would be like. And so Heather and I have had the opportunity to receive sojourners. I need to say just a couple of practical things. There's a lot more I could go. I won't, I won't go into too, too much of that. Three, three quick points. First, we haven't had to look that far. It was right next to me, right next to us. Sometimes it just surprised me. It's like, whoa. Uh, God goes, God searches. Sometimes we're called to go, but usually it's just going to be right next to you. So someone lived with us for a year, not, not that long ago. And it was just, it was kind of a surprise. Wow, okay, this is what, hmm. Second thing, involve other people in the process of discernment about how to do that. In Africa, I learned to depend on the local church for discernment and practical wisdom, practical advice, and involve at least your whole household. Third, prepare to be burned. I've made mistakes. I've been taken advantage of. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I want to end with the same verses and psalms with which I began. This is David praying in Psalm 39. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and with your ears consider my cry. Hold not your peace at my fears, my tears. For I am a stranger with you and a sojourner as are all my fathers. Amen.